Sports Stance. Hey everyone, and welcome to the Sports Dance. I am your host, Greg, and I have to say, oh, Canada. That's right. The Raptors took game one of the NBA Finals. And don't tell me you're a little shocked. Come on, we're all a little shocked. But we're not shocked at the same time, right? I'm just going to get, I'm surprised, I'm getting right into basketball talk. Alright? No games, no nothing. Straight, let's get into it. We got a lot to talk about. Going to be probably a little bit shorter of an episode than normal, but a lot of it's going to be NBA. We're going to talk about a little bit of MLB, netting issues. We'll hit on the Stanley Cup, and then we'll wrap it up. Nice little package for you guys this weekend, going into Friday afternoon. Sound good? All right. So, as I was saying, O Canada and the Raptors took game one of the NBA Finals. It was fantastic. And it wasn't one of those close games where, you know, edgier seat. It was through a lot of the game. But the Raptors basically went end-to-end with the win. There was times that, you know, Warriors came back, looked like they were going to just roll over, run right through, take off on one of those big runs that they always have, especially in the third quarter. But it just never happened. The closest they got, I think, was they took a 41-40 lead. That was about it. It was Raptors, Raptors, Raptors the whole time. Even with Boogie Cousins coming back, and we'll touch on that a little bit more, didn't make a difference. Looking at the box score real quick, you would be surprised too to know that the Raptors won when you first hear the Warriors box score. Draymond Green went for a triple-double. Steph had 34. Clay had 21. All their big guys did what they were supposed to do. Think about that. Their starters, their main three guys without KD, put up a combined 67 points. 65 points, sorry. Math. Not my strong suit. 65 points of your team's pretty good. Yes, that means they had to rely on their other two starters, which were Iguodala and Jordan Bell. But... You had Boogie coming off the bench. You weren't sure how he was going to adjust. There was definitely going to be a lot of rust there. But you thought, hey, if each guy can get me, you know, three or four baskets or so, we should be good. But they weren't. Because they ran into the three-headed monster in Toronto that didn't include Kyle Lowry. That's right. When I say three-headed monster in Toronto, I'm talking about Kawhi, Siakam, and Gasol. Siakam put up 32, basically couldn't miss a shot all night. Kawhi put up 23. No, Mr. Robot wasn't great shooting from the field. He only was 5 of 14. He was 3 of 6 from downtown, though, so that's big. And then Gasol, great trade at this point for them and the Raptors at the deadline. Picked up Marc Gasol. Guy can do it all. He can hit threes. He can go inside. He can get the big rebounds, make the big blocks, play tough especially against guys like Draymond. He put up 20 points, which is huge. That is such a big factor that is going to have to be now considered by the Warriors, adjusting on defense, how they're going to play these rest of these games, because 
up until this point, they've always been had, having kind of an answer for the big man down low. They stopped Cantor, uh, Zach Collins, and Leonard in the Trailblazer series. They kind of just let them do what they were going to do and focused on Dame and McCollum. And now they're facing a team in the Raptors who, yeah, you can focus on Kawhi, but Kawhi is a top three player in the league. He's Dame Lillard, fantastic. Really good athlete, really good point guard. Definitely can make you pay. But he's no Kawhi. Kawhi can do it on defense, he can do it on offense, and he does it all silently. The guy is a robot. Doesn't doesn't get affected emotionally. I've seen him crack a few smiles this whole playoff run. Like, the guy just does his work, does it well, doesn't care about what anybody else has to say, doesn't care about people calling him number two, looking at you, Skip Bayless. We're not going to even do a really Skip, because right now, Skip is losing his mind, and I feel bad for him. He's going crazy with Kawhi Leonard in the finals, because this is going to go one of two ways. Kawhi wins, and Skip has to then all of a sudden sing praises, or Kawhi loses, and he could be like, should have stayed in San Antonio. It's the only two ways it's going to go, and Skip can't figure that out. Can't. His mind can't handle it. It's fine. It happens to the best of us. My mind can't wrap my head around a lot of things. The fact that the Canadian team that made a championship round is basketball. For a country that loves hockey, has multiple teams in the NHL, they made it to the basketball championship instead of the Stanley Cup. Like, people there have to be freaking out to an extent. Toronto, basketball city? Might want to make the case that it is. Might be able to make the case that Toronto is now a basketball city. Think about it. They have Jurassic Park. They have been going out. They have huge stars that come out. Drake, who we're going to get into a little bit more also. But in general, basketball brings out everybody in the community in Toronto. Toronto's a lot like New York City. It's a melting pot of cultures. You got people from everywhere, all in, you know, one big city. And basketball is one of those sports that kind of brings every can bring everybody from different nationalities together. Whereas no offense to hockey, it's a specific fan base and we all know it. You're not getting guys from other countries getting in, as interested in hockey like a lot of people from India and other places. Hockey's not a sport that they, you know, grow up seeing. Basketball is. People see MJ. People see Michael Jordan everywhere in the world. They didn't see Wayne Gretzky. So, Toronto might be becoming a basketball city, which would be interesting. I mean, it's not shocking when your hockey team can't get out of the first round ever. But, who knew? Didn't think we'd be saying that. Also, the fact that I think everybody... Outside of the state of California is rooting for the Raptors to win this series. And yes, it's because we're all tired of seeing Golden State win. Can you be mad at us? They're like the Patriots of basketball. Except the Patriots don't win it every single year. Now this is a key difference. As much as people don't like the Patriots. Because... It seems that year in and year out, they're in the Super Bowl or winning a Super Bowl or making the AFC Championship, which essentially they are. They still don't win it 
four out of five years. It's a lot. It would have been five out of five if not for the lucky break with Cleveland. Somehow, coming back from a 3-1 deficit, blaming on the Draymond technical, but you can only blame that so much going forward. I mean, it's the one It's the one mark on their resume. It's a blemish. It was the 73-win year. It's the only blemish. They couldn't finish it off. But yeah, it's. I mean, they are like the Patriots. People just don't want to see them win because they do it all the time. So everybody's rooting for the Raptors, and they should. And the Raptors did not disappoint in game one. Like I said, 118-109. We're going to get into a little bit more. The fact that DeMarcus Cousins came back before Kevin Durant, I mean, it's crazy, right? We all saw it happen in the first round. DeMarcus ran for a ball, tore his quad, went to the ground. It seemed like he was going to be out the rest of the postseason. And this was them predicting that they make it to the NBA Finals, too, at that point. It seemed like he was done. Finished. How is he going to come back from a torn quad to be able to play in any basketball game in a month and a half? Well, he did, and he didn't look terrible. Didn't look great. He played eight minutes total. Got three points, some rebounds, some fouls. But if they can slowly work him back in and get him up to 15 minutes a game... That's going to be a factor. That's another big guy that can score offensively that the Raptors are going to have to worry about. But at the same time, he is a foul machine. He will get fouls. He will put them in foul trouble. He will put guys at the line. He's also hot-headed. So you have him and Draymond on the court. Cousins never made it to the playoffs before. He's now in the finals. So who knows how he's going to handle the pressure. But... The question is, how is Cousins back so quickly and Kevin Durant it isn't? I mean, come on, KD. Suck it up. It's a calf injury. I'm just kidding. I mean, it probably is a very serious injury. Obviously, you shouldn't rush it. Your team actually plays better without you, Kevin. Sorry to say it, but that's what happens. They play better without you. It showed. They're 31-2 now when you don't play and Steph does. Still would take that. Granted, if they become 31-5, and five, you win it because that means you lost the NBA Finals. But I wouldn't be shocked if Durant miraculously heals in the next few days and gets to at least play 15-20 minutes every game. And if he does, I mean, all they have to do is really sit him around the three-point line and he can just rain threes over people. It's all about getting that rust off, though. But... At this point, if Durant comes back, does it make a difference? I think it actually hurts the Warriors more. It's another guy they got to integrate back in. They're trying with Cousins. Like I said, he only had eight minutes. I mean, yes, he's coming off an injury where he didn't play since the first round. But Looney, Livingston, Quinn Cook, all these guys got more time. He got as many minutes as Jarebko. Yeah, I let that just sink in for a second. As many minutes as Jarebko. Not something that, you know, you normally want to see. But he did. He's back. It does make a difference. How much of a difference? I don't know. I will say it was interesting going into the third quarter. I don't know if everybody else had this thought, but I'm sure they did. Third quarter comes up. Warriors down by 10. You're like, all right, they're in perfect position now. We all know what's going to happen. They're going to go on that magical run that they always do. 
And Raptors, good try, good effort, but not enough. Didn't happen. They made runs. They got close, but every time they did, Toronto came right back, put up back six points, eight points, kept the lead to eight going into the fourth quarter, and you're like, Raptors might be able to do something here. It was weird. It was a weird thing to see. Not expect it. I mean, every single team seemed to fold every single time in the third quarter against the Warriors. It's just what they do. But we forget something. The Raptors have Kawhi. Last time Kawhi Leonard faced the Warriors in the playoffs, what happened? Spurs were up by 20. Then Zaza happened. So, who knows how the rest of that series would have gone. We don't know how the rest of this one's going to go. They are up one nothing. I think Raptors win in six. That's my personal opinion. I do feel a little iffy about it now that Paul Pierce picked the same. Because... As the next person I'm going to talk about will tell you, curses are real. Paul Pierce may have taken the curse away from Drake. He might have. He may have just taken it away from Drake. Which, if he did, wow, do you have some bad juju, Paul Pierce. Because Drake had some powers. He had curse powers out the wazoo. I mean, just look look at his past few months timeline. You could see it. He has cursed so many teams with what he wears. It's crazy. And he, you know he's rooting for the Raptors. Granted, maybe he pulled a double curse last night. He showed up in a Del Curry Raptors jersey. So maybe it was like a little voodoo on the Ra- Warriors and the Raptors and just evened out so the best team won. Is that a thing? I don't know. Might be. But still, Paul Pierce... To be able to take away the curse powers from Drake. Because if you don't know at this point about Paul Pierce, you can just go check it out. After the Bucks went up 2-0, he said, that's a wrap. What happens? Bucks lose four straight. I mean, he predicted the Rockets were going to beat the Warriors after they tied it up. Just, just not good looks for Paul Pierce. For an NBA expert, not great. So him picking the Raptors in six does make me nervous. But, hey, if you take it away from Drake, that's fine. And speaking of Drake, we have to get into it. The NBA came out before the finals saying, essentially, I'm just going to sum it up. Hey, Drake, stop with the antics. Move Raptors need to move your seats away from players. You can't do what you've been doing. Your antics are crazy. We're not going to allow this during the finals. Raptors said, okay, we're not moving his seats. And Drake said, okay, I'm not going to tone it down. The NBA either has to make him and remove him, or they're just going to have to deal with it. And I think it should be the latter. They should just deal with it. He makes great TV. People love talking about it. It gets so much conversation going online. And it keeps keeps everybody from the NBA, music, all of that involved. And it's just it's fun to watch. If you didn't see it last night, Draymond and Drake, when they were leaving, exchanged some words. It looked fun. It looked like a blast. They looked like they were, you know, having a good time. And by that, I mean, I think they absolutely hate each other. But let's be honest. Drake's not out here, you know, to make new friends. Am I right? No, no friends. No, no friends. No, no 
Exactly. That's what I thought. Drake, thanks for coming on the show. I know you only had a few seconds. Appreciate it. Especially appreciate the fact that you did that so musically. But yeah, Drake's not out here trying to make friends with the Warriors right now. So much so, he even covered up his Durant and Steph tattoos with a wristband on his arm. I mean, that's how much he's taken. That's how seriously he is taking his global ambassador role and support for the Raptors. He's not even letting guys on the other team whose tattoos and numbers he has of them be shown. I mean, it's pretty, pretty ballsy. Pretty, pretty hardcore by Drake. But him and Draymond, at the end of the game, exchanging words, Drake clearly looking at him, and what looked like he said was, you're trash, which, fantastic. And as Draymond Green said, you know, we talked, we barked a little bit, but it wouldn't necessarily necessarily consider it a scuffle. It wasn't what I personally would consider a scuffle. So, sorry for that creak. I'm leaning on a table. I guess I shouldn't. But, Draymond, try not to make a big deal out of it, which is fine. I mean, clearly, it's really not that big of a deal. We're just making it a bigger deal because it's entertaining. It's funny to think of what they might be shouting back at each other. For all we know, they're standing there shouting back and forth dinner plans. Be like, hey, let's make this look good. Hey, I'm going to McDonald's. Where are you going, y'all? I'm going to the steakhouse. Oh, that sounds good. Like, that that could as easily be the conversation as what it looked like him saying, you're trash. Maybe he's saying, hey, can you make sure you take your trash? We recycle here in Canada. Eh? Like, it could be as simple as that. And Draymond could have responded with, oh, sorry, didn't know. Thank you for coming to my Canadian impression. But, I mean, it's just a, it's a fun story. Granted, let's just make it simple. Drake, don't give Nick Nurse any massages on the shoulders. Don't stand next to the coach on the sidelines. Stay near your seat, in your seat. And you can basically do whatever you want then. That's it. That's basically what the rule should be. I'll be very interested to see, actually, if Drake ends up going to Golden State at all for any of these games. I would think he might. But who knows? If he sticks to just hanging out in Canada during all this and doing his like performance like he did for the Bucks games, that's cool. But I have to think that if somehow the Raptors go up, maybe if the Raptors go into a Game 4 with a three-game lead, 3-0 lead and they can win it, you got to assume Drake's going to be there, right? I mean, he got a hat. After they won the Eastern Conference Championship. Fans shouldn't do that no matter who the fan is. He got a hat like he is part of the team. Granted, I know he's considered their global ambassador. But, I mean, come on. A little weird. But Drake's going to Drake, I guess. He's going to just go on the hotline. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of. It's God's plan. Raptors to win. God's plan. See what I did there? Man, I became a dad and started making terrible dad jokes. But you're welcome for all you listeners, for all these terrible jokes. I do it for you. I do it because I love the game. I love the podcast game. I love the sports game. It's all it is. So that's NBA Finals talk. We'll talk about more, obviously. Next game is Sunday. And then game three is like three weeks from now because that's how the NBA schedules everything. Everything just seems so far apart, especially for NBA Finals, where you think every other day would be totally fine. It's not. But we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to talk about Stanley Cup, and then we'll get into a little bit of MLB, some 
weird little f- stories at the very end. Uh, who's spelling be champion? Uh, the correct term would be whom's. I don't know. That was probably also wrong. But we're going to go take a quick break. We're going to hear from my bookie. So, yeah, here we go. Ever want to make a wager but don't know where? Go to my bookie. Use promo code 12OUNCESPORTS to get 100% deposit bonus up to $1,000. Listen to all our gambling shows, then put that knowledge to practice on my bookie. Make sure to use the promo code 12OUNCESPORTS to get the bonus. You can find their banners and links to, on every page of our website at www.12OUNCESPORTSRADIO.COM or go to mybookie.ag. All right, now time to start talking some Stanley Cup. Sorry for that mumble right there. I don't know what happened. My brain just malfunctioned for a second. But we're going to talk some hockey. Trying to do it every single week because, well, it's the Stanley Cup playoffs. I probably should. I'm a sports podcast. I try to give everybody something to listen to, something to talk about. Even when my sports hockey knowledge, by me saying sports hockey knowledge, shows I am not a hockey expert. But it has been fun watching these games. Game one kicked off on... Monday, Bruins, everybody thought they were going to come out rusty. They had 11 days off, which in hockey, huge. Nobody's ever had that many days off leading up to the first game of Stanley Cup. Bruins came out, didn't look rusty at all. Granted, they went down 2-0 early, so you could probably have people start saying, oh, it's the rust, it's definitely the rust, it's got to be the rust. Rust, rust, rust. It wasn't the rust. It was just... It happens. What happened afterwards? Complete domination by the Bruins. After the first period or so, I would say the Bruins, even in the first period, the Bruins absolutely dominated control of the puck. They got pucks in deep, put pucks on net. These are just terms I have seen floating around, so I think I know what I'm talking about. And they outshot the Blues like no other. When you outshoot the other team a ratio of 2-1 to one by the end of the game, most likely you are going to win. Just seems like common common sense right there. Is that just me? No? Hockey experts? You agree? Getting a lot of shaking heads from my imaginary hockey experts. Yeah. You put that many shots on net, you're bound to, you know, have a few go in, hopefully. Granted, Blues goalie has been playing lights out throughout the playoffs, been spinning on his head, as they say. But Bruins just did too much. The fact that the Blues pulled him with over three minutes, I believe it was, left in the third period shows how much different, though, Stanley Cup playoff hockey is. Because in regular season, you probably pull him with a minute, maybe two. They went with three minutes, and yeah, empty net goal happened. You knew at that point Bruins going to win 4-2. And took game one. You know, it was a pretty good game. Not a lot of feistiness. The biggest thing was Krug on the Bruins came flying down the ice, no helmet on, out of nowhere, and basically looked like Bobby Orr's goal except with a hit. Flew through the air, knocked the guy down. That got the crowd really into it. But besides that, not a whole lot of tension and hate going on between the two teams. It was kind of a little boring in that sense, but... It's going to happen. It's the first game. You got to work up to that rivalry heat. Second game had definitely a lot more hitting and even had a hit bad enough to warrant a suspension. So we're going to talk about that now with 
it was the Blues forward Oscar Sundqvist. Again, I'm just going to keep going. I don't know if I say these names correctly at all. And he put a hit on Matt Gerzelik. Ger, yeah, I'm just going to. Letters are all. These are all just letters mumbled together. So we're going with it. Uh, he got a one-game suspension for an elbow to the head. Uh, obviously, Gerzlik had to leave the game. He went to the hospital to get checked out. He's in concussion protocol. He's day-to-day. Next game is Saturday, so you know he at least has one more day to try to get his head right. We'll see what happens. The hit, it didn't look great, especially when he slowed down in slow motion. The thing I noticed and heard the most from the announcers was the hit was bad. There was no denying it. But it seemed like Grizzlick was trying to almost fake out Sungfist with the way he was going, which way he was putting the puck. He kind of seemed like he was going to go one way, and he tried to make the puck go the other. It put him in an awkward position. He got boarded pretty hard, and the suspension came down, which I get it. NHL has to still be strict with these things. The guy was defenseless. Elbow went to the head. He did go down hard. He got a head injury. You got to protect your players. I do think it's right that they only suspended him one game. Anything more than that, kind of hard to deal with at this point. In the such a critical, it's seven games to decide the whole thing. Because despite the hit, despite a massively large first period scoring for each side where it came out 2-2, seemed like goals were being scored every minute, the game ended in overtime and only 3-2. Blues took it, marking the first time ever in franchise history the Blues want to stay in the Cup game. And bouncing back really quick to NBA, Raptors are 1-0 ever in NBA Finals, which begs the question, how do you beat a team that's never been beaten in the NBA Finals? You can ponder that and see what happens leading up to next week. Back to the NHL. Blues fans, clearly happy. Never had to, got, since the team was established in the late 60s, been to the Stanley Cup, I think, two or three times in that range. I f- thought I heard the record was 0-13 or something like that. Maybe it wasn't. I might be completely wrong. But nonetheless, it was the first win ever in their team's history. I think it doesn't make sense. I think they've only been to the Stanley Cup one more time. So they were 0-4 last time to the Bruins. They were 0-5 going into Game 2 against the Bruins in Stanley Cup Finals. They win their game. Blues fans got to play Gloria. Had a great time doing it. Uh, Saw some funny videos of people celebrating. Bruins fans, obviously disappointed. But you had to know going into the series, the Blues, even though they were the worst team at one point this season, and by that I mean they were 31 of 31 teams in the NHL. They've crawled their way back. They fought their way back. This is the team that knows how to fight and stay in it, and that's what they've been doing this whole entire time. They come back in it. They got back into the playoffs. They get through the their rounds in the Western Conference. They make the Stanley Cup Finals. You did not expect them to go down without a fight. They're putting up a fight. Now, granted, if you had the Sharks in this, you had some injuries they would have had to dealt with. Would have been a little bit easier path for the Bruins. It's a little bit harder with the Blues. Especially now going to St. Louis. They have home ice advantage. Their fans are just as crazy as Boston fans. If not, maybe crazier because they're hungrier. Hungrier dogs run faster. Learn that in the Philadelphia Super Bowl run. Hungry dogs run faster. 
The Blues right now are the hungry dogs. The Bruins, they've won a Stanley Cup in this in the past 20 years. Blues haven't. Blues have never won. They want the win. They want to bring a cup back to St. Louis. And they might. They might do it. I still am going with the Bruins. I still think overall they're the better team. I expected this to go at least six games. So we'll see. I think maybe the Blues even take a 2-1 series lead. And then the Bruins maybe just rattle them off. But if Boston takes one of two there, I think they overall win. Besides that, uh, the only other cool thing I saw about these games, and by the, not, I mean there was plenty of cool things, but going to overtime the other day, defenseman Carl Gunnarsson talked to his coach and basically said, just give me one more chance. Let me get my chance to maybe put one in the net. He did. It was his first playoff goal ever. And I believe his 57th career postseason game. Pretty awesome. You've never scored a goal in the playoffs before. 57 games in. You score one in overtime after having a conversation between third period and overtime with the coach saying, hey, just give me a shot. It's all I need. All I need is a shot. I'll try to make it pay. And he made it pay off. And he even said, I don't score too many, but nothing comes even close to this. So it's a pretty good feeling right now after he scored the goal. Yeah, I'd bet. Not many times you get to walk off on a Game 2 Stanley Cup Finals as your first goal ever in postseason history. So that's pretty awesome for him. That's been Hockey Talk with Greg. Thanks for coming. Um, That's all I got to say for this. I mean, again, like I said, Bruins, I think, take it in six. So we'll see where we're at next week again. These are all just, all these series, got to just keep updating. That's all it is. But for right now, we're going to take another quick break. Uh, this time, we're going to hear from Yamble. Again, Yamble, at least right now, is doing NBA Finals specifically. Uh, it's free, 100% free. These guys are just starting up. So go check them out. Uh, I'm not even getting like paid to do, talk about them. I'm just trying to help out. I know what it's like to start out. They know. Obviously, they're in the thick of it right now, starting out. So anyway, to help, it's 100% free. You can go win like 20 bucks if you win first place. It's a pretty good deal. Just all you have to do is make predictions. So check out the ad for them. Yamble is the brand new sports predictions app that lets you predict what will happen on the next play or next few minutes of a game. Place your takes on the game and rack up points as they play out. Highest scores get paid out real cash every game. It's like HQ Trivia, 100% free to download and play with payouts each game. Just search for Yamble on the App Store or Google Play. They're running games nearly every night during the NBA playoffs, so download now and start yambling. All right, now it's time to talk some MLB baseball. And when talking about MLB, there's not a lot I want to get into this week. I mean, you can look at it. Yankees back top the AL East. Big series against the Red Sox coming up. Got postponed last night. So still a few more games there. Red Sox need to win the series to at least start climbing back into the AL East a little bit. Minnesota, absolutely running away with the Central. Houston, the same with the West. Philly, Atlanta are going to be the battles in the East. Cubs, Milwaukee. And then the Dodgers control the West. Uh, That's about it. That's the updates for standings. You're welcome. You could have just checked that out on ESPN.com. But I figured, you know, I'd provide it for you. Because that's just how nice I can be sometimes. Anyway, 
things we're gonna get into today really just are one thing and one thing only. It's gonna take me a little bit to talk about probably only because it's such a t big topic over the past few years, especially netting at MLB baseball games. Now, the reason it gets brought up this week is the other night, Wednesday night, two different incidences happened not that far apart where a ball went into the stands and I think the Dodgers game and hit an older guy. He seemed to be okay. But the big one, the one that got really everybody talking about it, was in the Cubs game with the Astros. Albert Amora Jr. hit a line drive, foul ball, into the stands, and it hit a little girl. Now, from what we know, the little girl is okay. She was taken to the hospital to get checked out. Whoever was with her whisked her up and took her to go get checked. Almora Jr. felt awful to the point where after he hit it, he took a few steps towards that area because he knew it hit somebody. Dropped down, broke down, and then even after his at-bat, he went over to the security guard, talked to a few minutes, got some updated stuff, hugged the security guard, embraced, cried, and then went back to the dugout. And listen, it's a terrible thing to see. You don't want to see it happen, especially to a kid. You know when you go to a baseball game that foul balls coming into the stands are a possibility. Uh, it's been a thing for years. We've had people severely hurt by foul balls. We've had people that just get hit, and, I mean, you keep, the game goes on. A lot of the times, players don't even realize that the ball went into the stands and hit somebody. Usually the crowd gives an indication based on oohs and ahs and ah uh type situations. In this situation, people especially were jarred because it was a young child. So it brings up the conversation, do we need to extend the netting down to the foul poles at baseball games? Now, don't forget, we've already extended nettings past the dugout. So it's already pretty far down. Do we need to extend it? Controversially, no. Why? Because you're at a baseball game. Foul balls are a thing. This happens so rarely that somebody, you know, gets hit very hard unexpectedly. It's a bigger deal because it is a child. You never want to see this happen. Don't get me wrong. If we could protect kids in any sort of way, we would. But when you're at a baseball game, you got to be heads up. Whoever you're with, if you got to be there protecting the kids. And netting does not need to be extended that far down. Now, my reasoning isn't like, oh, you know, it's going to obstruct the view and all that. It's just it has no point. Think about it this way. If we extended netting all the way down to the foul poles and all that, we would have never gotten some of the greatest plays ever that we've ever had in baseball. Think of Derek Jeter diving into the crowd against the Red Sox. Think about how much that gets shown. If you extend netting all the way down to the foul poles, that play is not allowed to happen. Think about guys reaching over into the crowd, getting foul balls and getting outs, key outs. Never happens if you extend the foul pole down to the foul pole. And yes, again, I'm going to keep reiterating it. It is not a great thing what happened. But it does happen rarely. Now, if you think about it in this way, you can think about the positives of extending the net simply by one phrase 
that would have changed one person's life forever. Bartman. If there is anybody who is going to be for extending the nets all the way down to the foul poles, it would be Bartman, the Cubs fan, who back in the day had the famous going for the foul ball with, mind you, everybody else around him. And Moises Alou claiming he would have caught the ball if not for him. Still drives me nuts to this day. Everybody was going for it. Bartman's not even the first guy to hit it. He was just the focus because he was the most noticeable of all the fans with what he was wearing. But multiple fans' hands hit that ball. It wasn't just one guy. So let's get that clear. Let's get that out of the way. The guy's life was ruined completely for no reason. Cubs fans should be kind of ashamed. But if anybody's for the netting, it's going to be him because guess what? That, then If that netting was there... That never happens. That controversy is gone. Alou physically can't jump up and catch it because the net's blocking him. He has no way to get to the ball, no argument to be made, no fan to blame, and life goes on. Who knows what happens in the rest of that game after that because that emotionally, I think, also changed that inning. Cubs also just needed a better pitching performance by whoever was on the mound. But to extend the net all the way down to the foul pole takes away a lot of the game that can allow for players to make these outs, make these grand plays, make these diving catches into the stand, lean in, fall in, get all these different... So many plays have happened where guys are leaning over the stands, go in, catch the ball. Can't happen anymore. How are you going to get a ground rule double over the side... Of, you know, maybe like out of Fenway, where you have Pesky's pole, and if it stays in, it could bounce ahead of Pesky's pole. If it doesn't, if you have the netting there, it just bounces off. Or gets stuck in it. Who knows? So many different issues. Yeah, I don't know what that was. So many different issues with extending the netting all the way down that it it makes no sense. I understand. It is a thing... For safety. You want people to be safe. You want people to be, go to the games and enjoy the games. And I understand there's people that make the argument of the netting will distract you. It will be in the way of fans. You won't be able to see it so well. Well, let me put this in perspective for you also. The most expensive seats at a baseball game outside of being in the suite are behind home plate. Guess what's right behind home plate? Netting. You get used to it. You forget it's there. I get that. You can extend it to the foul poles. People will adjust during the game to the netting being in their vision. But you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't do it at all. You shouldn't extend it. You shouldn't do any of that because it will take away from the game itself. Foul balls are a thing. They've been around the whole time baseball has been played. You just got to be prepared for it. You have to be. Baseball is not a sport where you can sit there and be on your phone the whole time and not be engaged in the game at all. I know there's lulls. I know there's breaks. But when this guy is batting, you need to be paying attention because that ball could come towards you at any moment. And I'm not I'm not blaming the little girl. Trust me. I'm not even blaming who she's with. Sometimes you just can't stop a foul ball. Sometimes they come in very quickly that you cannot do anything and react quick enough of any sort of way to stop it. 
but extending the net's not the solution. It doesn't happen often enough. The most dangerous foul balls get stopped because of the ones extending down to the first base dugout and third base dugout to the dugout. That's all you need. Anything farther than that, you should have time to react. You should be able to be prepared for it. Also, those line drives usually don't happen as much down the line as far. And if they do, they're usually more of a looping type, more than a line drive type. It just seems to be the case. But foul balls have been around forever. You do not need to extend the netting to the foul pole. You just don't. Because if you do, you take away tons of outs throughout the year. Maybe that's what MLB wants, but it takes away it takes away something from the game. It takes away the player's ability to f- make that amazing play. Again, I go back to the Jeter play. Just think about it. All right, and then last but not least, after talking about the netting stuff, I know that took a while, but I want to get my point across. The only other thing in the MLB that's come out so far is attendance is down for the fourth straight year. Should this be shocking to anybody? Because not to me. I mean, we know this is an issue for baseball. Drawing in the young crowd, getting families to go. Prices need to be lowered. Getting Going into places where fan bases can be excited. Miami, Tampa Bay, nobody cares about those teams. To put it in perspective, the other night, they drew a combined, between the two teams, 12,653 fans. That's not great. Fenway Park sells out every single time for like 30-something thousand people. And you have two teams who can't even get past 15,000 combined. I mean, Baltimore, Cincinnati, Minnesota all have lows this year. Minnesota's I expect to turn around since they are doing so well. I know they had the highest attended game in a while the other day. So hopefully with how successful the team has been, it changes. But it's just, it's what happens. A lot of other things are on. Baseball, again, takes three hours. There's 162 games a year. It's not like football where it's must-watch on Sundays. So you're going to have lulls, especially at this time of year when you have the NBA Finals, the Stanley Cup Finals. You have kids still you know, finishing up school, sports, all these different things causing. You do not necessarily want to go to a baseball game. MLB needs to figure it out, though. They've started with the let the kids play. They want kids to get more involved. They want players to play like they were when they were kids. This is all a movement to try to get the youth to come back to the game, be excited about the game, want to go to games. Starts with the concessions, starts with ticket prices. Lower all that, fans will come back. Promote the game better. That's a key step right there. Promote your young stars. You had the commercial, that's great. You got to keep pushing it. You got to keep pushing the young stars on people, commercials, anything you need to do. Because baseball is a great game. But if not enough people are seeing it, it's going to die out. And it's not something you want to see. You want people to go to games. Going to a baseball game is one of the best things ever. Sitting there, you know, watching the game in person, it's just a different feel. You know, you get your Fenway Frank or I don't know what they call them at other places. You know, get your hot dogs, your Cracker Jacks, all that, like the mo- like the movie, like the song says. And you just enjoy yourself. Great sunny day, nothing better. MLB's got to figure it out. 
I don't know what the strategy is, you know, keep doing social media, all that, but ticket prices, concessions, if they lower, fans will come. It's one of the key things. So that, I mean, that's really it for MLB. Last thing we're going to get into, and this is just more so because it's a weird thing to me. The spelling bee was yesterday. Yep, that's right. I'm going to talk about the spelling bee. Don't judge me because you're going to think this is interesting too, probably. The spelling bee, the Scripps National Spelling Bee, set a record. What's the record? You might think, oh, did some kid spell the longest word ever? No. There was eight. Count them. Eight. E-I-G-H-T. Eight. Co-champions of the spelling bee. It's an unprecedented eight-way tie. In the 94-year history of the Scripps National Spelling Bee, there has never been that many winners, which is obviously... Not that shocking, because most likely, you expect in 20 rounds of some of the hardest words to spell, most kids would not do it. These kids did, though. They went 20 rounds and then a final round and spelled all the words correctly. 47 words correctly spelled in their historic walk-off victory, going through five consecutive perfect rounds. And it's just weird to have, I mean... Make them spell supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Just start making up words. See if they can spell it. Be like, spell blork. No, I'm sorry. There's a silent Q in there. Like, something. You can't have eight champions. I mean, great for these kids. They each won 50 grand. I don't know if it's towards college tuition or any of that. Hopefully, it's just straight hard, cold hard cash and they can put it into whatever they want to. In that, and make sure it goes to the kids. But you can't have eight co-champions. There's got, that's not how this works. You got to figure out a winner. You got to pick somebody that wins. And I don't mean like, okay, you spelled the hardest word, you win. Like, you just keep going. Eventually, a kid's going to get something wrong. Make him spell common words like knife. Like, there's a silent K. Maybe they'll get that wrong. Maybe the most simplest of words will screw them up. Make them spell beautiful. Like, all these words. Something. Something has to work. But eight co-champions. Eight. How does that happen? How do you not... How do these kids know how to spell all these different words? Like, how is every single word in the dictionary... Did every single word in the dictionary get used? No? Keep going. Make it a week-long thing. You need one winner. That should be how it works. I get it. There's rules, there's regulations, you can have co-champions, but eight just seems a little bit ridiculous. But I guess that's how it goes. That's that's the way the cookie crumbles. Good for them. Congratulations. C-O-N-G-R-A-T-U-L-A-T-I-O-N-S. Congratulations. Yeah, that's right. I can spell two people. It's pretty impressive, I know. Figured I'd put my spelling... Tech technique, I don't know. Spelling talents on display. But that's all I got for you. That was the last thing I wanted to touch on. You know, NBA Finals, Stanley Cup, MLB, hitting all the main stuff, all the main things. Starting soon, we will start talking about the Women's FIFA World Cup. 
Uh, surprise prediction, USA is going to take it all. And by surprise, I mean, come on. You know the USA is going to take it all. But that wraps it up for me. Hopefully everybody enjoyed their Memorial Day weekend last weekend. Hopefully you have another great weekend this weekend. Enjoy it. I'm going to be hanging out with family again. I don't mean that. I didn't mean that to sound a bad thing. It's a great thing. Going to be hanging out with some family, playing some golf. Hopefully you are too. Just enjoy the weekend. Hopefully you don't have to work. If you do, you know you can listen to me. Help make the past, make the past time. Man, sometimes I just say things and they do not come out right. I see them in my mind. I say them out loud, and it's all it's all wonky. It's like Yoda. But have a good weekend. Enjoy it. Have a good time. Hopefully you have nice weather wherever you are. And, you know, just be good to one another. I think that's like a thing Ellen or somebody says. Be good to one another. And on a positive note. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Thanks again for tuning into the Sports Dance. Again, catch me on Twitter at Sports Dance underscore. Sports Dance on Instagram. All that fun stuff. Rate, subscribe. Go check out all the other great shows on 12 on Sports Radio. You know all the whole spiel. But have a good one. Have a great weekend. Enjoy it. See everybody next week. The Sports Dance.